Uh, you're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you are well, wherever you might be tuning in from. The interview subject that's coming up for your listening pleasure, it's Phil Rind from San Francisco's very own Sacred Reich. Now, the reason for the conversation is to talk up the band's appearances in Australia throughout February, and there's one date in March, I might add, with violence. So let's read out the dates quickly. 26th of Feb, they're playing in Canberra. The 27th, they're playing in Brizzy. I should be at that one there if I can make it. The 28th, they're playing in Sydney. The 29th, they're playing in Melbourne. And the 1st of March at the Enigma Bar there in Adelaide. This is a good conversation. Tune in. I mean, you're already tuning in, but stay listening. There you go. Here he is, Phil Rind from Sacred Reich. Hey, mate, how you going? Good, I'm so sorry. No, it's all right, mate. Things happen. It's all good. I understand these things. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to waste your time. I apologize. No, that's, that's, that's no worries, mate, whatsoever. It's, I've got to be up anyway. You know, I've got kids at 6... It's a bit 6.35 now, AM here, so I'm up anyway with the kids, mate, trying to kick them out of bed and get them sorted for uh, school. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids? Five and six. So we're uh, yeah, good. Yeah. Thank God they're both at school and uh, they're both out of the house now, mate. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like a fire drill in the morning, right? All right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Oh, it is. Yeah, and my my youngest is very much like me, not a morning person. So she uh, <laughs> milks it for all she can she can get away with, put it that way. But at some point in time, it's just got to be get up, get going. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. I I was always like, when's it gonna? When are they gonna be able to get themselves up? And now, like, my youngest are in high school and stuff, and they've been getting themselves up and off to school. And mm. you know, when, when my son started driving, I'm like, all right, take your sister too. Come on, see you later. <laughs> well, it's it's free, it's freeing for both of you, isn't it? You know, at that point there, yeah, you know, they've got mobility. And well, now I ahead. send him, yeah, and I, <laughs> I send him on errands all the time. Hey, will you go run and get this for us? Hey, will you go get that? That's great. Yeah, no, sweet mate. Yeah, all right. So, mate, let's let's have a talk about. Well, we've got a couple of things to talk about, haven't we? I mean, you got the shows coming up late February, uh, but you also had yeah. a new album out last year, which is the first one in uh, quite a while. The album Awakening, and I was listening to it last night. Uh, I got to say, mate, you know, I, I just think we're living in uh, as a lifelong fan of heavy metal. Um, I think we're living in possibly the best time to be alive as a metal fan. You know, there's there's you guys coming back really strong these days overkill creator death angel you know some of the most vibrant and essential albums in your careers uh, all of the bands including yourself obviously but mate that being said coming down here to australia have you have you been down here before to play shows and what can the australian audience expect from the shows i think we were down there in like 92 i think with sepultura hmm um, right, and yes. it was incredible. And uh, I don't know. I think the shows are going to be super fun with violence. And I just think it's going to be great. I mean, I, you know, like we've only been there once, but it left a great impression. You know, I just, I, I always, I walked away with that just thinking Australian people are some of the nicest people I ever met. That's great. And um, just really looking forward to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be there now, especially with everything that's going on, um, and to be there and maybe, 
you know, just to, to provide an opportunity for people to just go have fun when there's so much heavy stuff going on. I think it would be really good. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, actually. There's bloody bushfires have started up again down near Canberra. Um, so we, mm. can't, we can't take a trick at the moment, even though my part of the world is subtropical, leaning into the very tropical, and we don't really get a lot of bushfires, if any, but down south does, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think when Obituary were down, mate, they uh, they did some GoFundMe or something like that for it as well just recently, mate. So I think people definitely appreciate the love from... The wonderful heavy metal bands from the from the United States, that's for sure. Yeah. It's really, it's just really sad to see it, you know. And I see all these individuals, you know, and bands trying to, you know, get together to make contributions. I'm thinking, where where are all the governments of the countries around the world? Where's the support for one another? You know, like I don't know. It just seems seems strange, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, you've always sung about these sorts of things, about how interesting the world is and uh, the way politicians uh, make decisions for us as, uh, well, elected or unelected officials, sometimes the veil's rather thin <laughs> between the two, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. But I think I was like a yeah. lot of... Hey, you go, mate. You're on. Oh, no, no, I we were watching a movie last night, my wife and I, and it was, I think it was... Uh, uh, something in Ireland and maybe uh, 1849 and it, you know, it was these English land barons and putting people out in the cold and yep. taking their homes and, and, and people dying in the famine and then blaming the people. And I'm like, yeah, it's always the fucking same, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Same, same as far back as we can find graffiti, meaning that in Roman, uh, in Roman times, they find graffiti too the effect of what you've just said there. So there's always that disaffection from people toward governments and this feeling that we were being screwed over. You know? and all, all yeah, because it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, gosh, you don't want to... I, I try not to get too cynical about things, but certainly in Australia, uh, the UK and the United States, we have this two-party political system, don't we? Basically, yeah. only one of two parties ever has an opportunity or a chance to form a government. And you think, hang on a sec, you're both playing on the same football field. So you're both playing exactly the same game. So you kind of technically, you understand like the New York Jets and the New York Giants are part of the NFL, if you know what I'm saying. So they're all part of that broader yeah. league. And same thing yeah. with these governments. They're part of this broader league. And, and you think, you think to yourself, am I really making a decision between two parties or is it just, am I just sort of, is it a proxy to select between a left and a right wing party or a centre left and a centre right wing party because they're effectively got 99% of the same policies? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I, you know, somehow I, I manage to stay optimistic in the face of everything because mm. why not? I mean, it's merely a choice, you know, and we just, you know, we can look at the at the history and say, well, it looks a little bleak. But I just, I still think like there's always an opportunity for change. And it's just up to us. Mm. And at some point, people are just going to say, fuck enough of this bullshit. And maybe some real change will happen. So we'll see. I mean, all we can do is our best mm -hmm. and try to pay attention and try to understand that we're all in this together and that borders and colors and languages and all these things are just artificial ways. And the real truth is that we're all really the same. And, mm. um, and we should live through that. 
Mm. Yeah, well said. And, and look, you did, was it last year or the year before? I can't remember now, but I've certainly got it. You released Don't Do It For Donnie, which is a split seven inch with Iron Reagan. And um, I think it was an interview with Kerrang where you were giving some background on the song. And um, I think you say, uh, you said in the interview uh, that was the effect of, um, you didn't think Trump had any idea what he was doing. And uh, so I was thinking the opposite. I thought he knew exactly what he was doing. It's just a lot of people didn't like it. But is it? Do you still hold that view that you got no idea? No, you don't think he has any idea what he's doing? Well, I think he's in over his head. I don't think he's intellectually curious. I don't think he pays attention. He may have some broad ideas um, as far as just wanting to enrich himself and his friends. And, but I, I don't think he's really cut out for it or really knows what it's like to work or to pay attention to people or to listen or to read or any of the skills someone would need to try to do that job mm. uh, efficiently. Yeah, it's a heck of a, it's a strange job, the President of the United States, isn't it? Because you're effectively, <laughs> on paper, the most powerful person in the world. Yeah, I think it's too much for one person. I mean... Mm. <clears throat> I can't even imagine wanting to do that job. I mean, imagine you don't sleep. I mean, there's always something going on in some part of the world. And, um, and the amount of pressure and, you know, and, and what it takes to get to that position. This is why I'm a big fan of Bernie Sanders is, you know, all these other people are saying what they have to say. They're beholden to their donors. It takes a great deal of money to run. So I understand, like, these people give you money to run. They're expecting something in return. So the system is corrupt. Yep. And mm -hmm. even if you want to try to change things, once you get, you know, the phrase when you lay down with doggies, you get fleas. So yeah, yeah. when you're put into this corrupt system, what choice do you have? So we need to just rethink how we run elections and what's important. And, you know, I think the... For me, I'm like, I, I can see three steps. The first step is participation because you need everybody to participate. The less people that participate, the, the more um, the concentration of power happens. So hmm. if you get people to participate, that's number one. And then if you take the influence of money and run public elections where people can run and they don't have to bother themselves with raising money all the time and being beholden to these people, that would be two. So I think those two things are incredibly important. And, you know, because the thing is, why would these people vote against um, the interests of the people that um, help them get elected? Mm. Well, if we change the interest, if we change who helps you get elected to the people versus the corporations, then we change the dynamic. But we'll see. It's just an idea. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, the bloody lobby is certainly the perception we have here in the Australia about the uh, system there in the United States is to exactly to your point that you are beheld in two lobbyists and uh, they are the ones that do help whether you're a local governor or right up to a uh, Democratic candidate like Bernie or Tulsi or whoever it might be. Um, you are beholden mm -hmm. to these people. Eventually at some point they say, rightio, we invested a couple of hundred thousand dollars in you. <laughs> Cough up. <laughs> Eventually it has to yeah, come back around to that. That's exactly your point. And I remember talking to people about corruption and I think there's some folks from India and they're like, Oh my God, it's so corrupt here. You got to pay off all these people to get anything done. Hmm. I said, they go, you know, America is so not like that. I go, well, 
it's not like you can bribe the cop on the corner, you know, or the guy down at the electric company. I go, our corruption is much higher. Hmm. It costs a lot more to get involved in the corruption that we have going on. Hmm. But it's certainly there. Indeed, yes. Uh, look, politics, you know, we could talk about all these things all day, but we better talk about the music sure. because... Okay. Because I, I wanted to go back in time, if that's okay with you. Uh, and of course. There's one of the few tours from the past. Well, it's a few. When I say few tours, there's many tours from the past I wish that I'd seen. But one of the ones that I wish that I was present for, but I would have been far too young, was the New Titans on the Block tour in 1990. Now, I understand that you went on a. It was a mini tour. It was a. Might have been extensive, but I couldn't see too many dates. But sick of it all, Napalm Death and Sepultura. My God, that is four of the greatest bands of the era. And can you tell me a little bit about what those shows were like? Oh, it was incredible. That was nine weeks in the U.S. Hmm. And we had just done eight weeks in Europe with Sepultura, and then we came, it was in Europe, it was Heathen, us and Sepultura, and then in the U.S., it was the package that you described. And um, it, it was just crazy. Um it was funny, the first show of that tour was at the Ritz in New York, and Sick of It All didn't play but there was a band that just uh, White Zombie played. White wow. Zombie opened. Yeah. They had just they had just got done recording their first record with Geffen, mm-hmm. with Sex or Sisto. Yes, right. and uh, and I think Typo may have opened. Like it was it was crazy. And then Biohazard came and played a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. And I just remember it being very wild. I remember riots in Allentown and Boston and New Mexico, just fucking out of control and everybody was like on fire all the sets were incredible and all the bands got along and it was just super fun mm. is that the the tour we yourselves and sepultura became good mates uh actually before then because so our manager gloria at the time like roadrunner wanted her to manage sepultura as well mm-hmm so we met them, one of their first shows they played in the U.S. was Sepultura, Us, and King Diamond at the Ritz in, in New York on Halloween. So we met them there, and then in 1990, I think we played, uh, we played Rock Hard Festival together, mm-hmm. and then we played uh, Dynamo Festival together, and then we snuck them into France on the bus. Because <laughs> at that time, Brazilians needed visas to get into France. We just kind of smuggled them in. So we got to get, you know, we were pretty friendly. And then Gloria, who was our manager, started managing them. And we spent a lot of time with them in Europe, like I said, two months. And then another nine another nine weeks in the U.S. And did Australia New Zealand with them. And, hmm. um, yeah, we, we became very friendly with them. And we're actually touring with them uh, coming up in March in the U.S. So it'll be a lot of fun. That'll be fantastic, yeah. Gosh, their new album's great, by the way. I don't know if you've heard that yet, the Quadra. Um, but it's crushing. I, I just heard the one song, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're doing really well these days, actually. It's, it's amazing. I just never thought, and, and I'll ask you I'll ask you another question at the end of this, but I just never thought through the early 90s when I was a teenager and getting into music and finding you guys, you know, Surf Nicaragua, this sort of thing, but it just, you couldn't, you couldn't buy a page in the 
local paper, effectively, if you know what I'm saying. Like, heavy metal, I honestly thought for a period of time there was going to go close to going away, but it just went underground. And there's just been this massive resurgence. You know, like I said earlier, you know, about Overkill, Creator Yourselves, Death Angel. Of course, I've got to include uh, Sepultura and that bunch there. I just think some of the best albums are coming out recently. And I just never thought we'd actually get to this point, especially because, you know, without beating around the bush, we're all getting older. Just getting news yesterday that poor old Reed Mullen from um, Corrosion of Conformity yeah. passed away, which is, yeah. I had a chat to him, it's really yeah. sad. And I, I just spoke to the other uh, Pepper and Woody last week, and I asked Woody directly about him. And, uh, you know, I mean, this, blind, this, this death obviously blindsided everybody, you know, but the point is, is that, is that we're not getting younger. It's bleeding obvious. We are getting older. And and people like myself that have been a lifelong fan of heavy metal in general, just basically all of the bands. I'm a heavy metal agnostic and evangelist at the end of the day. And, you know, one of the albums that, that I remember quite liking back in the day um, was um, Heal from 1996 from mm. you guys. You know, and, and so my question for you is, man, like was that was obviously a really tough time for heavy metal in general, one of the toughest years ever actually. You know, is that is that a really important album in your catalogue, though? Uh, I think it's very overlooked because I think most people had moved on mm, to yep. other things. So, I mean, I I feel really good about it, and I like it a great deal. But I don't think uh, people were really paying attention at that point. But um, like I I like all our records, you know. Um, they're time capsules, and they make me remember a certain period in my life and. No, like like to your point, we're all getting older, and the fact that we're still able to do this is uh, a gift. I feel real. Just turned fifty, and to be able to make a record again after mm. twenty three years, you know, and and not just making a record, but I think one of the best records we ever made, and, and I feel a really mm. strong connection to the songs. And when we've been out on tour, it's amazing to see people singing the new stuff and I think the new stuff blends in really well with the old stuff because there's always a question of how it's going to be received and I understand <clears throat> I remember going to see <clears throat> excuse me Black Sabbath with Ozzy and they started out with a new song and I'm like come on man give me the stuff that I know hmm. so I understand as a fan how it might be so um, I don't really know what my point is but I think the point is that we're really fortunate to still be doing this and yeah. to be making okay. music and something that's um, worthwhile. Mm. And look, obviously, being in my 40s, I remember um, when Dave McLean actually joined Machine Head. And i got to tell you, God, God, you know, God help me if ever I have the chat to Rob Flynn one day, but I remember thinking, wow, Dave, what a step down from you guys into, and I, that's what I remember thinking at the time, because I thought you guys were, you know, really cutting edge thrash metal back in the day, and um, what's it like having him back in the band? I mean, it, it actually, as we've said it a couple of times, man, but it feels like a resurgence for, for you guys, you know, how strong everything, the material is, and now you've got a, a drummer who's world class, let's face it, like Dave back in the band. Yeah, it's been, it's been really great, and like a big surprise, because... Yeah, it was interesting when everything went down with Craig and he wasn't in the band anymore. And, every, you know, we were talking about it, like, what are we going to do? And there was a lot of uncertainty and, you know, um, and I remember just texting Dave, hey, give me a call. And he called back and he said, hey, Greg's not in the band. And he's like, I want to do it. I was like, what? 
He's like, yeah, I want to do it. He goes, I always hoped there'd be a time where I could be back in Sacred Reich. And man, it just about made me cry because, you know, uh, Machine Head is a very successful band. I, I didn't even think he would be thinking about our mm. band anymore, you know. And he said, man, you know, Sacred Reich's always been one of my favorite metal bands. And um, I've always been rooting for you guys. He would send me riffs and stuff like, hey, man, make this record. Here's a song if you need it. And um, mm. it's just been wonderful to have him back and so positive and bringing a lot of experience with him. And I remember recording him while he was like, man, Dave's, I forgot how good Dave is. I go, dude, he's been getting better for 23 years on top of it. Don't forget about that. Mm. So um, it's been really great to have him back. And it feels like a very strong unit right now. And having Joey in the band um, has been a breath of fresh air and, mm really gave us a shot in the arm yeah all right mate i'd better make this one my uh, my last question for you because i think you've got another one in five minutes if i'm not mistaken but um you know what i tell you the way that i got into you guys it was because jason newstead used to wear your t-shirts back in the day now i'm sure you're aware of it but um, uh-huh. i mean these days you go onto instagram and you type in jason newstead uh, a solid percentage of the the pictures that you see are of him back in the day and he's more often than not wearing a Sacred Reich t-shirt. I, th- I think Jason's contribution to Metallica is um, it's just so it's so underrated. He's such a ma- I'm a bass player like yourself, mate, and I think Jason was every bit Cliff's equal, even though people don't consider him that way. I think he's a magnificent um, band member too for what he had to bloody put up with in Metallica. <laughs> it goes without saying. But mate, did did that? Did you really notice that that when he joined Metallica that? interest in the band sort of spiked a bit because he was wearing the t-shirts back in the day? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I noticed any sort of impact. I mean, look, man, I remember checking out Faith No More because James was wearing their t-shirts. So I know mm. that it contributed, you know, and people were like, you know, when you see a band that you looked up to so much, and especially Metallica, who was everybody's heroes and the, you know, one of the greatest bands who ever was around. Hmm. Um, obviously there had to be in, you know, he was, I always considered him like my big brother and Flotsam was like our big brother band. And he helped us a great deal when we were starting out. Like he wrote our first bio. He gave us his mailing list of all these magazines and fanzines from around the world that, you know, for for us to send our demo to, and Mm. he would do, um, interview cassettes and on the other side, put our demo and say, check these guys out. And, he went to Metal Blade and would tell Metal Blade, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich. So he was always a big supporter of the band. Um, and like I said, he was always like a big brother. And uh, we really appreciated it. It was just amazing to see too, you know, knowing him very well and getting to see like kind of the inner workings of what it looks like to be in the biggest band in the world. And I just, it was very much an eye opener to see how things worked. And I just remember going, is this what we're all working towards? Because I don't think many people can handle it. I just don't think nothing in your life prepares you for that sort of success and whirlwind and activity. And and it's just amazing, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think you're bang on point there. And that's what I think a lot of bands who are starting out don't actually consider is uh, when you're in the eye of the tornado, like what James Hetfield constantly is, it's not very pleasant. And, and we've seen in the last 12 months, Within the last 12 months, I don't know how long ago it was now, but James had to go back into rehab for some issues with alcohol. It is a, it is a bloody hard gig doing that. I mean, he's 
thing about James Hetfield is he's probably as well known globally as Donald Trump. You know, that's that's a heck of a statement yeah. to make, but I mean, I think it's the case. Well, yeah, I, I just think it's crazy because I think <clears throat> most musicians too are like the dudes in the corner and they're not fitting in and they're not, you know, they're not the captain of the football team and the popular people. So you take these people who are kind of shy and quiet and artistic and you give them all this fame and adulation. And I, I think it's very unsettling in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know. I just think it's um, it's just crazy to think about things in, in, in that respect. And I think it's very difficult to deal with. Mm. And um, I, I just hope he's okay. You know, he's always been my hero musically. And uh, yeah, I think it's crazy. And, and you know, it's funny because I remember um, thinking, oh man, that's very difficult to take. And I said, well, most of us don't have to worry about it because very, very, very few people get to that level. Indeed. You know? Yeah. yeah. I think it, yeah. it can, it can but drive it's, you crazy. You know, it's yeah. amazing. I, I think, I, you know, I, I remember talking to Jason and saying, look, man, you know, if you're in the game, you're in the game and you're playing music and doing, making records and touring, you know, you're in it. You're not at that level, right? And very few people are at that level, hmm. but at least you're making music and you're, you're doing what you want to do. So whatever level that we're able to accomplish it, um, we're very fortunate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm very thankful to still be able to do this. It's amazing because we were never a very popular band, you know? But somehow we made some sort of connection with people that is still there, and um, we're just lucky to be able to do it. Mm. Well, mate, we're lucky to have you. Frankly, uh, I mean, it's it's I've made this point so many times on the podcast series, but I mean, heavy metal to a lot of people is as important, or near to as important, of course, as food and water. It is it is essential to our, to being human. For so many of us, and to your point about you know we, uh, you know us, us artistic types tend to be a bit quieter and a, a bit more uh, you know we're in the corner so to speak. But mate, music is our refuge. It's how we identify ourselves. And I mean, you see it. You, you talk to the fans when you're on tour or what have you, mate. So you you know how appreciative the fans are of the music that you guys are making. And um, yeah. it's uh, and like uh, we've said it a few times, man, through the conversation. But I'm just so grateful that we're living in an era where. So many great bands are making such great music and ha and have the ability to do so financially, to provide for their families at the yeah. same time. I mean, that's the yeah. real gift, I think, right there. And that's that's um, that's something that I never thought was possible so long ago. So, you know, mate, uh, you know, congratulations on an epic career. Long may you continue. It okay. uh, it must be said, mate. I hope this is just the beginning of Act Two. You know, with the uh, with yeah, Awakening that's how I going. feel. You know, yeah, that's how I feel, and. I feel like the record's probably the best thing we ever did. And I feel like lyrically I'm finally coming into my own. And, um, yes, you know, and it's, saying, yeah. when we were, when we've been touring, I mean, the, the music and the reason why, like what you were saying about food and water, the reason why it's so important is because it makes a connection between people hmm. and people need that connection in their lives to be happy. Indeed. Um, hmm. You know, and when you're listening to music and you're like, that's how I feel, or yes, you know, and you smile because it's saying something or invoking a feeling and you um, were making connections over time and space, you know, and 
that's what makes us feel alive are those connections because the opposite of feeling disconnected from everything is depression. So feeling connected and and plugged in is really being able to have a sense of being alive. And that's why it's so important to people. Mm. Very well said, very articulate right there. So mate, I'll leave it there. Thanks so much for the conversation. And uh, look, I, uh, cheers, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, no worries. I should be in the crowd when you guys come down. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Thank you so much for your time. I apologize once again for the delay. No worries at all, mate. No worries whatsoever. Thanks very much again. All right, man. Have a great day. You too, mate. Catch ya. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. And, of course, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject you just heard from was Phil Rind from the San Franciscan Originals, Sacred Reich. Thanks for listening.